The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A haunted video game you can play today. And then we take a look at the rumors of underground cities beneath Death Valley. Do they really exist? Are they being covered up? And was Charles Manson so tuned in, he found the entrance to one of them, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you are having a great day too. It's bitterly cold here. Ugh, big cold snaps come through. You know what's funny? So I have this weather app on my phone. And it'll say, the weather, the temperature is 35, but it feels 29. How do they determine that? Is there, like, a guy at the weather center? They're like, hey, Bobby, you gotta update the website. Go outside and tell us what it feels like. And eventually that guy would just be like, ah, it feels like it's 60 degrees and everyone's super cold because he would get immune to the cold. How do they figure that? Did they just go, oh, according to, like, stupid nerd science stuff, they can go, well, depending on the the wind factor, this would be 20. Or do they just have an intern stand outside? They're like, uh, he's dead, so it's probably feels like it's 10 degrees. There has to be an answer behind that. But we're not going to figure it out today. Instead, we're going to talk about some ghosts again. This is the continuation of Ghost Week. Two things, too, before I get started. One, just a reminder, the merch store is now open. We got shirts and hoodies and mugs. We got a clock. We got a Dead Rabbit clock. That's all on the merch store. Those will be in the links below. And a, a, quite a few people have already bought some shirts and hoodies. One guy bought a mug. I'm assuming it's a guy. I don't. Could be a woman. I don't know. Yeah. So we got the merch store going. Secondly, I said I've been, I I give you a hint on Monday of what our Friday episode would be. One of the most requested, if not the most requested topic to cover on Dead Rabbit Radio. I said on Monday it involved ghosts. And today the hint is it also involves music. So a little mystery for you. Ghosts and music. See if you guys can figure it out before Friday. But let's go ahead and get started here. Now... Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is a video game. Now, I read an interview with one of the game developers way back in the day, probably around 2004, the year that everything crazy happened in the news. And I can't find that interview again, so you'll have to take my word for it, and you'll have to believe in this quote-unquote quote, because I don't know exactly what he said, but I remember reading it and being like, Ugh. There was two people who developed this video game. The video game's called Fatal Frame. And you had these two developers. You had Makoto Shibata and Kisuki Kikichi. And one of them, I don't remember which one, one of them was doing this interview with this game magazine. And they were talking about it at the time. It was a, it was a it was a kind of a big hit. It's a definitely cult classic nowadays. There's like 5 of them. They were talking about the first Fatal Frame and they were developing the second Fatal Frame. And the interviewer asked them about, you know, the the workmanship, the craft that went into the game, and the game developer said, "Yeah, I wanted to make the game beautiful because I know ghosts watch you while you play it, and I wanted to give them something to look at. Now, that might just be hyperbole for a game where you're hunting ghosts, 
but it's actually quite accurate. I have my own personal experiences with Fatal Frame. Now, Fatal Frame came out in 2002. It was released for the PS2 and the Xbox. First the PS2. But I was house-sitting for some friends of mine. Jackie, Jackie. She was um, one of the people who was in the Shadow People invasion story. We did a lot of ghost hunting. Well, anyways, her family would let me house-sit for them. It was totally awesome. And they had a PS2 and a big screen television set. So I was like, dope. Ran to Hollywood Video. Rented. A copy of Fatal Frame, because it looks super cool. Took it to the house. Played it for maybe 30 minutes. Went back to Hollywood Video and said, uh, yeah, you know, I took this home, and, like, my mom was, like, it's scaring my little brother, so I I gotta return it. Can I get another game? And they're like, yeah, sure. The game is terrifying. The game is very, very scary. The setup of the game is you're a young girl who's looking for a missing sister. You're in Japan. You have to go into this mansion. The only weapon you have is a camera, and you gotta like time it right to get the ghost. But what's scary is you don't, you can't really see the ghost until you lift the camera up, and the camera like restricts your field of view. It's a very, very claustrophobic type of game. Very, very well done. Great game. Great game. But it was so scary that when the developers started to make the second one, Fatal Frame 2, Crimson Butterfly, they got complaints that the first one was too scary. People didn't finish it. A lot of people did not finish Fatal Frame. It's too scary. So the developers said, okay, we'll make it the sequel. We're going to make it a little less scary. We're going to make the plot a little more emotional, a little more e- involved. So people will want to stick around to the end. Fatal Frame 2 is considered the scariest game ever made. Fatal Frame 2 is considered... I haven't played it because my experience is with Fatal Frame. Because what happened, it wasn't just that 30 minutes. I was obsessed with that game. And the only place I knew that had a PS2 was at Jackie's house. So I ended up getting a copy somehow. I don't remember if I like bought it used or something like that. And I would go over to Jackie's house because I hung out there all the time. And her and I would play it late at night. It would make it extra spooky. But you know, I can be brave if there's somebody else there. And her mom was always very, very sensitive to ghosts. If I've ever met a true medium in my life, it would be Jackie's mom. Like, she just was very, very sensitive to all that stuff. She never tried making money from it. She never tried, like, you know, being the ghost whisperer or anything like that. She would just kind of mumble about stuff every once in a while, about things she was seeing. And that house was creepy. But just her mom kind of had that... And she was just, like, she was a housewife. She wasn't, like, a hippie chick. She was just, like, a normal person. But she kind of, just the way she talked, like, if I've ever met a real medium, it would have been her. So, I remember one night, she came downstairs, and she was like, can you you guys quit playing that game? And we're like, why? And she's like, because it's causing stuff upstairs. And I'm trying to go to sleep. Jackie and I kind of looked at each other. We're like, yeah, sure, you know. And we thought maybe we were being too loud. But then we started kind of talking and we shut the television off and just sat there for a while. We're like, because the game just has a creepy vibe to it. And her mom wasn't saying, it didn't wake up the dad. Her mom wasn't saying, please turn it off. You guys are being loud. It's like, she said, it's causing stuff upstairs. So at that point, we we had to finish the game. So there was a time when the mom, where the parents weren't there. And Jackie and I were there, and we were playing Fatal Frame, and we actually beat it. We were up till maybe like 1 or 2 in the morning. I'm sitting there playing it. She's going through game facts. I think we actually had to go upstairs to the computer upstairs, print out game facts, the website, and then bring it back downstairs. Because, you know, nobody had a, like, a la- laptops were still ridiculously expensive, and no one had smartphones. So we're sitting in the dark playing this game. We beat it. 
But there's some like other there's some other stuff you can do on it. Like I don't remember if it's so much bonus stuff, but like other content you can go through battle mode or something like that. So we beat it and I put it away. And I remember I, maybe a week or two passed and I was talking to Jackie and Jackie's like, my mom threw your game away. And I was like, what? She's like, my mom threw Fatal Frame away. I was like, why would she throw Fatal Frame away? She goes, it's so weird. So when her parents came back into town, she goes, my mom, they came back to town. They're in the house. She goes, maybe a night or two passed. And my mom came to me and said, were you guys playing that game while I was gone? Were you guys playing that ghost game while I was gone? And Jackie's like, yeah. Yeah, we were. And the mom was like, give me the game. She threw it away. Somehow this game, even though she wasn't there for the second... And Jackie's someone I trust explicitly. She's never lied to me. The Somehow the game does open something up. And it's a mass-produced game. You can buy copies today. They, they're like 20 bucks. And the, there's like five sequels, and some of them are on the Wii U. But it's not like this cult game. This is a spooky game that only one person can own. You can buy it and play it today. And I swear it opens something up really, really creepy. And I think that's what adds to the creepiness. And that quote, because I was really into that game when I read that quote from the developer and he's like, dead people watch you. Like it basically when you're playing it, the dead will stand behind you and watch the game. I'm like, and from my own experiences, I knew that wasn't hyperbole. I knew that he probably built the game to attract the dead. I don't know. I haven't played it since. Yeah, and I have no way I'm playing the other ones. I might, you know what, that would be kind of cool to do a Twitch playthrough of one of the Fatal Frame games. Fatal Frame 2, maybe. We'll think about it. You see a bunch of ghosts standing behind me, that would be creepy. I'm like, hey guys, donate me some bits! And you just see like this hulking figure behind me. Mungo's ghost is standing behind me. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story is actually not a story. It's very, very quick. Please indulge me. Dead Rabbit Recommends. This is something I've wanted to do. Originally, I planned on doing it every week or every other week, and I really haven't. And the reason why I do it is not because my taste in films is greater than everyone else's or that, because it's not, but or it's not like I have this secret knowledge of movies, but there's a lot of movies out there that I think would appeal to this audience, to you, that people don't know about. The Evil Within... In the Mouth of Madness, The Conspiracy, these are all great movies that when I found them, I was like, these movies were made for me. And this one too. This is a movie that I just happened to stumble across and I really can't talk about it without spoiling it. So I'm not going to talk about it a lot. It's called Coherence. It's by James, it was written and directed by James Burkett, I believe. But it's Coherence. It's an ensemble piece. It takes place in a single house, or does it? And I'll tell you the beginning beginning of the movie there's a dinner party it's these upper middle class people sitting around drinking white wine there's a comet passing overhead this movie's probably from like 2013 there's a comet passing overhead they're having this party where they sit around and talk about their how great their lives are when really their marriages are all falling apart type of thing and one of them's an actor and one of the not all not everyone knows each other some of them are just friends of friends and they're all at this dinner together and one person goes hey you're an actor, right? And the dude's like, yeah, I'm an actor. And they go, you I, I, you were on that show Roswell, that, that TV show Roswell on the WB. And the guy's like, mm, no, I've done television, but I was never on Roswell. Other person's like, are you sure? Are you sure you're not? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm totally sure. I've, I've never done Roswell. The movie is amazing. 
when the movie ended, I remembered that line and was like, it's such a well put together. It is a sci-fi thriller bordering on horror. And it just goes places. I recommend it to anyone who is a fan of weird stuff, 40 and stuff, science, whatever you, I mean, it is it is a perfect show for this audience. It is a perfect show for this audience. Coherence. Check it out. It, I'm pretty sure you can rent it on YouTube. It, it mo- most likely because it was a, a it was a not like a big release, but it, it had a main distributor. Again, it's not some cult film. Very, very well done. It's been year. I saw it in 2013. So it's been what? Let me do math here. Six years. And I still remember certain scenes absolutely vividly. Very, very well done movie. So Dead Rabbit recommends Coherence. A short review. And I would like to just do these once a week because I got a ton of them. A ton of great movies. So we're going to go ahead and move on to our last story, our main story. This one's really, really interesting. It's quite frightening, actually. I have a thing about, and I've mentioned this on other episodes, I have a thing about stuff being underneath me. I don't really, I think that's the reason why UFOs don't scare me, because I don't find the sky necessarily spooky. I don't find UFOs or space aliens and stuff like that intrinsically scary. But it's funny because when I talk about aliens that come from Earth or in underground caves, that it gets to me. And I think you might, if you're a longtime listener to the show, I think you might have picked up on that. When I'm like, Grays, Grays coming from space. <clears throat> but then when I talk about Grays evolving from dolphins and being in tunnel systems, the tone of my voice was quite different in that episode versus how I talk about aliens in general. I don't like stuff underneath me. I don't like being on lakes. I don't like being in the ocean. And it always trips me out to think, I live between two volcanoes here in Hood River. There's Mount Adams on one side and there's Mount Hood on the other. And I think, you know, what, a mile down, there's just rivers of hot lava. I mean, that might not actually be accurate, but it trips me out to think that there are caves underneath my feet. And it's even weirder when we start talking about civilizations, enti- imagine you spend your whole life walking on Earth and three miles underneath you, there is, well, we'll get to that. We're headed to Wingate Pass. And you know what? Let's see here. I don't think the Jason Jalopy can make it. Let's take the bunny buggy. The it's not a weed whacker. That is our four-wheeling it has machine guns on it. We got two fifty caliber machine guns on the front of it. It's a buggy. Going over the dunes. It's a four... Well, they all have four wheels, but it's a four-wheel drive. Buggy for going over the sand dunes. War boys are chasing us. Do we have to outrun the war boys? Mediocre! We hear them yell as we, we just kick dust in their face. Whenever we go anywhere we're sand, if I remember, the war boys will show up and try to take us. Mediocre! But we outrun them. Okay, so anyways, we're going to Death Valley. Specifically, we're going to Wingate Pass. Now, Wingate Pass is an area of Death Valley. And there was a guy back in 1932, he was writing a book called Death Valley Men, which is actually quite evocative title and very self-explanatory. You know what you're going to get when you read the book. He's in Death Valley. He's talking to like the hardy people, the survivors, not the hardy boys, the hardy men. He's talking to like survive, you know, people who've lived there their whole lives. They're all dusty and stuff like that. Just real like kind of land scrabble guys, if that's even a word or a phrase. And he meets up with these two dudes and they go, do we have a story for you? And the key's like, why'd you get that accent all of a sudden? And they're like, I don't know. 
They go, do we have a story for you? You, you Let's have a couple rounds, because it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while, Mr. Lee. So they're at this saloon. They're the only saloon still standing in 1932. They're drinking this beer. And he goes, okay, here's the story. Me and my buddy were out at Wingate Pass a long, long time ago. Not super long ago, but, you know, more recent. And the author's like, come on, okay, just get on with it. Get on with it. Okay, okay, okay. Let me drink my beer here real slowly. So me and my buddy were out there. We're goofing off. He, uh, my buddy here, being the idiot that he is, falls down a mine shaft. And I have to rescue him. Now, it wasn't like a straight... I'm imagining it wasn't like a straight drop. But they had to go down to the bottom of this mine shaft to rescue his buddy. And they find what appears to be some sort of false wall. And so they start kind of digging around in there. Now, of course, at this point, you're probably thinking, this story's fake. This story's super fake. But but bear with, don't say that yet. You can say that at other points. But, I mean, I guess these two characters are basically Laurel and Hardy. They're, like, falling down and they, like, awaken the mummy because they're moving rocks around. But anyway, so they move away. They get through this false wall type of thing. And what they see is a massive underground chamber. A city, really, but completely devoid of life. It's empty. Except for the eight-foot-tall mummies holding golden spears. So the two dudes, we'll call, we'll call them Laurel and Hardy, because I have to determine them in some way. So Laurel's like, another fine one you got us into. That might be the worst Laurel impression ever. I'm so sorry. I apologize for that. Laurel and Hardy begin exploring this. It's quite tragic that I named them that, considering what's coming up. But Laurel and Hardy are beginning to explore this huge chamber. They find gold everywhere. There's a huge table that's flat. It's round. It's polished. And they're like, this looks like some sort of ceremonial chamber. This looks like it goes on forever. They begin exploring this whole area, finding massive gems. I thought one of the most interesting things they found was, and here's a quote, heavy stone wheelbarrows, which were perfectly balanced and scientifically constructed so that a child could use them. Now, I understand in 1932, a wheelbarrow was probably the height of technology. And they're like, oh, my God, this is the Lamborghini of wheelbarrows. This is the most, look at this. Look at, look at this, Hardy. I can, I can do anything. A child could use this. I don't think there's any way I could be impressed by a wheelbarrow today unless it was a hover barrel. If it had no wheels, it just hovered around. That's it. But apparently these guys are super impressed by this wheelbarrow. Now, it's funny because they just walked by eight foot tall mummies. And they're like, whoa, look at those giant mummies. Dude, is that is that a wheelbarrow? But apparently it really excited them. One interesting thing about their story, too. Is there's two ways to fake stuff. One is to be completely vague. And one is to be overly detailed. But one of the things they said was that when they got in, the place was illuminated. Because there was like lines of gas in the wall that illuminated the place. So it was like basically fluorescent light bulbs built into the cave walls. And you could see the gas swirl around in there. That's a very, very intricate lie. If this is fake, that's a very, very intricate fake. For 1932. I mean, again, I would be, if I found an eight-foot-tall mummy, a wheelbarrow, and some gas in the wall, I think those would be my first two things to talk about, would be the mummy and the gas. Um, but for some reason, they really like the wheelbarrow. But the, the, I, it just is a weird detail. It's a very, very weird detail to fake the lighting system. But again, someone could have said, well, was it dark in there? And they're like, uh, no, 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 there's gas in the wall. So you don't know. But they're telling Borkley these stories. 
they do the smart thing. They take a bunch of gold home. Now, they probably use their scientifically constructed wheelbarrow, but they take a bunch of gold home and a bunch of gems, and they say, we're going to go back there. We're going to get even more stuff. But, conveniently, if they're lying, and tragically, if it's a truth, someone steals all the gold and all the gems. So now they have absolutely no proof. And there was a cloudburst over the area, which actually is like this massive amount of rain that can deform the terrain. Because it's just such a steady, harsh set of rain that comes out of nowhere. They said that a couple of landmarks were destroyed. They couldn't show where it was again. Again, convenient if it's a lie. So they tell this story to Borkley, and he writes it in his book. But later on, not like later that day, but, you know, at a later point in time, they contact uh, Bork again, probably through, like, Telegram or something like that. I guess they had telephones in 1932. But they call him up, and they're like, hey, we're going back. We're going to go back to Wingate Pass, and we're going to find proof. And Borkley's like, oh, awesome, you know. Never, people disappeared. The two, Laurel and Hardy, gone. No one ever saw them again once they set out to go find Wingate Pass again. Now, of course, it's Death Valley. They could honestly just die. Anything could happen. It was 1932. The bandits could have got him. War boys could have got him. They could have been out in the desert. Witness me. And then just got blown up. But the guys were never seen again. And they were real people. Because the rest of the book was real people. But now, you know, you're like, Jason, okay, that's an interesting story. A couple of people said they found something in Wingate Pass. But someone else also found something in Wingate Pass. In 1946, this doctor shows up. And we have a name for this guy. Dr. F. Bruce Russell. This is interesting because he goes, in 1931, I found a tunnel in Wingate Pass. Now, this guy is more known to history because it was a big hubbub. He says that he found a tunnel in Wingate Pass that led to an underground city full of eight-foot-tall mummies and gold everywhere and these huge statue, these huge like gold spears and everything like that. Pretty much the same story. He doesn't bring back proof. He comes back and says, we need to bring an expedition down there. I need to get investors and we need to lead a team in there and we're going to take all this gold and we're going to explore this place. Now, it's possible that he heard the original story. He read Death Valley Men and then just made it up that he personally went there. That's definitely possible. But he's saying he went there himself. He comes out, he tries to get investors. People were like, listen, We're not going to give you money to find gold until you bring us back some sort of evidence that this place actually exists. And really, he's like, in 1946, he's thinking, okay, I'll go. I found it once. I can find it again. I will go and I will prove to you that this place exists. Hold my beer. And that beer eventually got warm and evaporated because he was never seen again as well. So now we have three disappearances linked to the same place of people who went to a location came back, told people they knew of it, and then went missing. With the doctor, they did find his car with a busted radiator in Death Valley, but a suitcase was in the back seat. And that's always been people thought, well, if he abandoned his car, you think he probably would have brought a suitcase? I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't want a suitcase walking around the desert. But they never found his body. But again, it's Death Valley. Is it possible that all three of these people just met their end in Death Valley? Or is it possible that there's something else going on? That somebody wanted to cover the story up? Now, you can go to Wingate Pass today if you're a member of the military. Because what happened was the U.S. government bought all the land around there. And now Wingate Pass, this entire area that supposedly has an entrance to this underground city full of eight-foot-tall mummies and untold riches and wheelbarrow technology far beyond our own, It's now part of the China Lake Naval Weapons Center. 
from what I understand, it's where they test weapons. So even the military officials don't want to go out there because a bomb's going to fall on them. But you can't go there. As a civilian, You there's no way you can go there at all. Government controls it. Let's go ahead and take a look at another part of Death Valley. This place is known as Devil's Hole. And it's interesting, it's not the Devil's Hole. It's not Devil apostrophe S hole. There's no ownership. It's just Devil's Hole, as in multiple devils, which is a weird name for it. Charles Manson was that kooky serial killer cult leader back in the 60s, if, if you, you're not familiar with the name. And they were the ones who murdered Sharon Tate in our previous episode. They didn't murder her during that episode, but that covered that story. Now, his plan was this. He was going to start a race war so that the he was going to commit a bunch of crimes, bl- blame it on black people. The white people would then attack the black people. The black people would fight back. And in the resulting race war, the world would be destroyed, and Charles Manson would reign supreme. What he expected the Asians and the Hispanic people to do, I have no idea. They're just sitting there watching it, and they're like, hey, you want to divide this up after these guys get done killing each other? They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So, very, very short-sighted thinking, Charles Manson. And you're normally known for such lucid thoughts. To be able to survive Helter Skelter themselves, him and his group were going to go into an underground passage in Death Valley. It was underneath Devil's Hole. So you had to swim through the water. And when you get to the bottom, it opens up to this vast underground city. Now, again, we're still in Death Valley. Now we have two accounts of underground cities in Death Valley. Well, three, technically, because you had two guys with the first one. Now, of course, one of them is Charles Manson. So you take it with a grain of salt or a hit of acid. But he said that in this, whenever a civilization comes close to being destroyed, the tuned-in members, as he called them, of the tribes or the nation or whatever, would descend into Devil's Hole. So underneath the water, there's a land of, the rivers are of milk and honey, which is as evocative as that might be. That's disgusting. I want you to take some honey and some milk and mix it together and tell me if you want that running down the river. It's all... And, big question, skim or whole milk, Charlie? What are we talking about here? But anyway, so milk and honey rivers, honey and milk rivers, whatever the phrasing is, a tree that has 12 types of fruit on it, one different fruit for each month. That's, I'd rather take a scientifically constructed wheelbarrow than a tree that I'm like, man, I really want an apple, but it's June and apples aren't popping up until October. So whatever, I don't eat apples actually, but it'd still frustrate me that I'd have to wait for something even if I didn't want it. So he told his followers, we're going to start this race war. We're going to go into this underground water pit. We're going to find this ancient civilization where people are still alive from thousands of years ago. It's just this beautiful, peaceful place. Now, his place was teeming with life as opposed to the dead city further off in Death Valley. But that was his plan. Now, obviously, it didn't work. They started Helter Skelter. It was a total failure. They all got arrested. And that was the end of it. But we still have the issue of Devil's Hole, which is a real place. You can visit it. It is a bottom. People don't know how deep it is. People have tried swimming to the bottom of it and they've died. Because again, you're in Death Valley. It's not the most hospitable place. But it is out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows how deep it is. But you can visit it. You can actually go to it. But the government bought it. The government owns it. You can't actually go up to the rim of Devil's Hole. There is a massive fence with barbed wire wrapped around it. The government bought it and it's by the National... The Death Valley State Park owns it. So you can go there and you can look at it. You can look at this hole of of blue water in the middle of the desert. But you can't go in it. Can't test how deep it is. You can't do anything. 
Now, their reasoning is there is a type of pupfish that it's the only place on Earth that these pupfish still exist, and these pupfish have been isolated from the rest of the world for 10,000 years. So they say it's a conservation thing, which is possible, but it's so weird. If one of those two places were purchased by the government and was inaccessible to people, I would be like, okay, but this other place you can visit, like, yes, yes, the pupfish, but you, you can go to Wingate Pass and you can look around for this spooky treasure. But both of them in the same area are both controlled by the government. They're inaccessible to civilians. What's down there? I'm not giving a lot of credence to Charlie Manson stuff. But again, if he had placed that same legend in Eureka, California or Baja, Mexico, the fact that they're both relatively in the same location, they both tell the same story. Now, of course, Charles Manson could have read Death Valley Men and got his information from that. but. When the government buys property, just buys it full off and makes it inaccessible to other people, it raises suspicions no matter where it's at. But the fact that they happen to purchase the legendary portals to the underworld in two different locations in the same geographical area, what's going on down there? We talked about that in the previous episode too, and I said I'd address it later, where Is the government covering up the existence of previous civilizations? I want to believe no. I think that's a ridiculous conspiracy theory. There is a urban legend that the Smithsonian has been going around the world destroying proof of eight-foot-tall mummies. It's such a specific rumor, and I've always dismissed it. I've always thought that was completely ridiculous, that the Smithsonian walk around with hammers and mallets, and they're just like, Die, desiccated corpse! None of this ever happened. They're basically the men in the men in bandages. But they go around and they erase people's memories if they ever see an eight-foot-tall mummy and destroy the evidence. But then I come across stuff like this and it makes me go, maybe there's something to that ridiculous conspiracy theory. I don't believe that the Smithsonian is going around destroying eight-foot-tall mummies, but I'm a little more suspicious now. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O'Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.